All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we've got a four-week series on the Lord's Prayer, and this is kind of the way that I'd like to approach it from a format standpoint. We'll, we'll sing songs, songs of worship for about 10 minutes, and then I'll, I'll teach for about 35 minutes or so, and then try to leave 10 minutes for questions. I think uh, I want this hour to be an hour of discipleship, and so I think one of the ways that we learn best is by, you know, questions and answers and, you know, that sort of uh, dialogical approach. And so uh, that's, that's what we'll do. We're going to begin a new series tonight. I haven't done anything really to, uh, to promote it via social media or anything like that. I want to do that uh, next week because you you'll be able to jump in really any time. But we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And you, you think about if you had the, the opportunity to ask the Lord Jesus a question, and to hear his very direct and, and in this case, succinct uh, response, what, a, what an honor that would be. And here we have uh, the disciples, and, and we're going to look at Matthew's account, but in a different account, asking Jesus, saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, we have uh, the words of Jesus recorded in what we know as uh, the Lord's Prayer. So um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the, uh, the preamble, if you will. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through the first part of verse 9, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack this uh, Lord's Prayer as, over the next few weeks. Um, I think my interest here is not jo- just to learn about prayer, though, but hopefully to kind of fuel a more desperate prayer, a more passionate prayer, a prayer more consistent with uh, the Lord's teaching. And I think, you know, Martin Luther once said that, that prayer is the hardest work of all, it's harder than preaching. It's harder than studying. It's harder than writing. Um, it's harder than serving, than doing good works, because we can't look back on a prayer time and say, look what I accomplished, right? We want, I mean, we want to know when we do something and, you know, that, that we can kind of look back and say, this is, this is the end result of my labors, but we can't really do that with prayer. Uh, sometimes we see the way the Lord works in incredible ways in response to our prayer, but it's not one of those projects or tasks that you can kind of reflect on and say, I was able to complete this. And so I think that's one of the things that makes it difficult. Another thing I think that makes prayer so so hard is that um, it's even though it's one of the most important spiritual disciplines, it requires waiting. And it's hard to wait, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to wait for anything. Janine and I were in the drive-thru just the other day at McDonald's on County Line and and we were just getting a Diet Coke, and so we're in this line, and I, I, there, were, there were only two cars in front of us, but I couldn't stand it anymore. So I went in, and they have the, they have the, uh, the, the kiosk there where you can kind of order on your own and just pick up your cup. And so I just couldn't, I thought, all we're getting is a soda. Like, why am I waiting in this line for the, you know, the people in front probably had, I don't know, two of the 20-pack nuggets or whatever they had to fry, you know, deep fry or whatever. So I thought, so I was driving me crazy. I think it's hard for us to wait. And I think one of the things that's made it more difficult, of course, is the, you know, the advancements in technology, especially with things like nanotechnology. Things are getting smaller and things are getting faster. And so our natural proclivity to impatience is being fueled as if on steroids because we're so used to getting things right when we want them. Even, you know, we've got voice-activated commands, we have Bluetooth, all these things. We're used to getting what we want right away. And if, that's not the way it works with prayer, is it? It doesn't work that way. Um, sometimes we wait years. I told, um, told you the story about my stepdad, prayed for him for 38 years before he 
came to faith in Christ. That's a long time. It's a long time for my mother to wait and live with someone who really wanted nothing to do with spiritual things. We have to we have to wait, and, and I'm not against, you know, technology. I think technology is great, but what's happened is we have kind of amalgamated so many cultural values, and in particular, the cultural value of speed. So it makes it very difficult. We're not used to waiting. We're not used to uh, persisting. We're not used to uh, continuing in something without any perceived results, and yet this is one of the things that we, we do when we persist in prayer. And so what I want to do is look at the, the Lord's Prayer, the so-called Lord's Prayer. And I, and I think when I go to pray, uh, there are sort of two ways that I typically approach it. One is sometimes when I go to pray, it's out of a sense of obligation. I know I should do this. I'm trying to do it in a disciplined fashion. And that's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's a good thing. But there are times when I pray, there are times when it's a real longing to be with the Lord. You ever experienced this? It's just, I want to be with the Lord. I want to have that time with the Lord. And I think, hopefully, uh, as we look at this study over the next few weeks and, and even pray together, that will become more of the, uh, the burden that we have to pray, to spend time alone with the Lord, because this is a real longing of our soul. And when we do spend time with the Lord, it's our souls are nourished in, in a profound way. And so that's kind of what I'm, what I'm hoping to, uh, to see happen here by, by the, Lord's, uh, the Lord's work. And so we're going to look at, again, really what we're going to look at is a new way to pray and um, kind of a series of contrasts. So we're going to look at the way Jesus uh, teaches us to pray, his disciples and those who would follow. And then we're going to contrast that with perhaps some of the uh, some of our own inclinations uh, or what we're accustomed to. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have one, that's okay. We'll have the, the words behind me on the screen. So let me read. We'll cover verses 5 through 9a. Let me read verses 5 through 8. Uh, and when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So right away, we see that Jesus begins with a couple of presuppositions, doesn't he? The first one is, he says, when you pray. So Jesus is presupposing that those who follow him will pray. That it's a, it's a, Jesus knew that, it was, that prayer was the lifeblood of the, the belief, the lifeblood of his followers. There will be no revival in the church apart from prayer. There will be no revival in our homes apart from prayer. I mean, this is the way that God brings about these powerful movements. We see it throughout history. We see it even in our own experience, how God responds to prayer. The church will not grow and expand and make disciples who make disciples, this reproducing movement apart from the prayers of God's people. So Jesus assumes that people will pray. And then the second thing that Jesus presupposes when he says, uh, when he says, when you pray, you must not, and you must, so he says these things, what he's presupposing is there's actually a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. 
So there are things that we can do in our prayer lives that are actually not consistent with the biblical witness. And there are ways that we can pray. There's a way we can pray that's actually consistent with the, the testimony of Scripture. So um, there are ways that we can pray that are right, and there, there's also a wrong way to pray. And Jesus then would go to, on to give us a model for how to pray. And he does so by really sort of explaining, or at least elucidating, the differences between biblical prayer and unbiblical prayer. So let me give you, there are essentially four types of prayers that, you know, throughout history that you'll see. Um, the first one is primitive prayer. And primitive prayer is motivated by fear and a desire for self-gain. And so this type of prayer uh, seeks divine aid to ensure prosperity and protection. So it's the sort of the, the basic level, the lowest level, if you will. And I don't really know there's a sort of a hierarchy of prayer types. But this is the kind that just sort of cries out to God in fear for personal rescue and for personal gain. So that's we see that, and I'm not going to give you examples throughout history. We don't have time when we see these, but I am going to ask you in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, articulate four different prayers, and then I'm going to ask you to try to uh, see which one might fit into these categories. The second type is ritual prayer, and that's similar in the sense that it's often a desire for self-gain, but it's, it, it views the repetition of certain phrases and often mindlessly done, but the repetition of certain phrases as a way to sort of, you know, get God's attention or maybe even twist his arm, so to speak, and get what we want. So that's, um, that's ritual prayer. A third type of prayer we see throughout redemptive history and uh, in, in, in churches all the time is mystical prayer, and that, that really seeks a union with God. That's kind of the chief goal. And so this type of prayer is not really about making requests to God, but instead, it's about getting closer to God through prayer. And the fourth is prophetic or biblical prayer, which, which has really as the key utterance the, the admission of need. And then actually bringing things before the Lord that we need. Sometimes, you know, it seems really, it sounds really spiritual if someone says, well, you know, when I go to the Lord, I don't even ask him for anything. That sounds like a spiritual way to look at it, but that's really not biblical at all. Biblical prayer is, is about bringing our needs uh, before the Lord. So let me give you a little quiz here so we can make this interactive um, right away. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite a prayer, and these, these are just prayers that I, I made up. I, didn't, I wasn't listening to anyone in this room pray, and then I didn't write this down. So this is nothing that you've said uh, as far as I know. And, then, and, you can, and we'll leave those up on the screen. You can tell me what you think this is. So here's one prayer. God, I'm here, and I'm listening. I have nothing to say to you. I only want to hear from you. I want to be closer to you. I want to know you and you alone. God, enlighten my eyes. Bring me closer to you and who you truly are. Which one of those uh, would you say on the screen? Uh, does that do mystical? Yeah, that's good. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, the whole focus there is, God, I want to be closer to you. Um, there's no utterance of need. It's just a matter of, of becoming closer. Uh, here's another one. Uh, which uh, maybe if this is what you say at dinner time, uh, forgive me. Um, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. God, continue to build a hedge around your servants and let your angels watch over us. Um, what do you think? If you said that, if you say that, that's okay. Look, you're not in, in danger with God or anything like that. What, what do you think that would be? 
that's ritual, right? So you just, you know, it's every day you sit down. In fact, your kids, I mean, this is not anybody in this room, but your kids may know, okay, we're sitting down at the table, so I know exactly what's going to be said here. I've heard this a thousand times. Even my mom, who's a godly woman and, and very prayerful, um, you know, got into a bit of a rut. I could, I could almost sort of mouth the words of our prayer at dinner time because I knew it was the same thing all the time. Now, she didn't necessarily believe that by repeating the same phrases, she was going to sort of, uh, you know, get one over on God, but there was this, this repetition. Um, here's another one. Father, you know that I've always wanted a good job. You've promised me good, and I'm claiming that promise now. Give me what my heart desires. Provide for me. Prosper me and cause your blessings to fall on me. What does that sound like? Primitive, yeah. That's, that's an example of primitive prayer. It's, just, um, it's a matter of really trying to seek divine aid for my own prosperity. And then, of course, you know what this last one is by the process of elimination. Uh, Father, I'm asking that you bring salvation to my family in accordance with your will. My brother doesn't know you. I'm pleading with you to overwhelm him with your mercy and love so that he turns from his rebellion and cries out to you in faith. That's prophetic biblical prayer. It's, it's, it's an expression of need. So and this is so important that biblical prayer is at the heart. Biblical prayer is at the heart petitionary, which means it is bringing our requests to the Lord. There's nothing super spiritual about saying, God, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I want. I'm not, I'm not going to share my, my, I'm not going to ask you for anything. That's not really at the heart of biblical prayers. We're going to see as we kind of work our way through this, uh, this prayer. So now what most people don't realize, in fact, is, is the, this prayer that we're reading here is actually uh, a series of six petitions. So the first three are called the three uh, thou petitions, and the second three are the three we petitions. We'll look at those again as we work our way through. But here's what's, here's what's pretty uh, incredible and stunning is that these petitions, the three thou petitions, the three we petitions, actually appear in the imperative form. So these are actually, these are demands of God. Now, we want to be careful, of course, we start making demands of God, but these appear in the imperative. So, for example, Matthew 6, 9, hallowed be your name is actually cause your name to be hallowed. To be hallowed just means to be set apart, to be made central. Now, we, if, we, if we set something apart, like I'm stealing from my lesson a couple weeks from now, but if we set something apart, if I say I take my Bible, I'm setting it apart, that's what it means to be hallowed. But, but it, actually in ancient Near Eastern thought, in, in Jewish thought, to be set apart was actually to, m- to be made central. So what we're saying of God is it's actually, we're, we're asking God, God, cause your name to be made central. So, but we'll get into that in the upcoming weeks. Let me give you a definition of prayer, a biblical prayer, prophetic prayer. It's this, biblical prayer is a renunciation of human confidence and a corresponding appeal to God based on need illuminated by Scripture and subordinated to the will of God. It's, it's a long definition. I don't expect anybody to remember it, but, it's, but it is helpful in the sense that it is, it's, first of all, a renunciation of human confidence. Because when we go to God, what we're saying is, by, by virtue of actually going to God and then by our words, we're saying, I can't do what has to be done here. I can't do that. There's no way I can do what needs to be done. 
I can't bring about healing in my marriage. I can't restore this broken relationship. I can't cause my children to cry out to you for salvation. I can't bring about revival. God, I'm coming to you. It's a renunciation of my own ability, human confidence, and then a corresponding appeal to God based on need illuminated by Scripture. So when we we think about the things we ask God for, um, and we're going to look at what it means when we say, give us this day our daily bread, which is a bit of a catch-all phrase. But those needs should be illuminated by Scripture and then subordinated to the will of God. In other words, we're saying, God, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm pleading with you to do. But, of course, let your will be done. Let your will be done. So it's a, a, it's a renunciation of human confidence and a corresponding appeal to God based on need illuminated by Scripture, subordinated to the will of God. So um, I guess I'd forgotten how quickly uh, time flies on these Wednesdays. But let's, let's look at the prayer then. So look at verse 5 again. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, I want you to know Jesus was not confronting the Jews, the Jewish people, because they didn't pray enough. He wasn't saying to them, you need to pray more. They pray way more than we do. They had, they had a prayer called the Tifila, which was a long prayer made up of 18 benedictions that they prayed uh, three times a day. Um, along with the Tifila, twice a day, they recited the Shema, which is a Hebrew word, it's just, you know, hear, O Lord, the Lord, you know, uh, the, the Lord your God is one, and so on. You remember that from Deuteronomy, uh, the early chapters of Deuteronomy and number 16. Uh, on top of that, prayer was a major focus of worship in the synagogue. So the service in the synagogue would begin with prayer, a prayer of invocation, which was a welcoming of Yahweh's presence. And then that moved to the recitation of the Shema, then to the Tifila. And then there were two readings from the scriptures, one from the, uh, Moses and one from the prophets. And then the sermon always came from the reading of the prophets. Remember when Jesus uh, read in the synagogue at Nazareth, he read from Isaiah, and he read about what the Messiah would be doing, right? And so he's reading. This is a regular part of their rhythm. He's reading about the, what the Messiah would be doing. And then he says, scandalously, he says, today this reading is fulfilled in your hearing. And what happens? They try to stone him saying, look, I'm actually the one, the anticipated one. So there were prayers, readings, sermons. Um, and after the sermon, any male in the congregation could actually be invited by the leaders to come to the front where the scrolls were and then stand and lead everyone in prayer. And what was happening was that they were trying to outdo one another. So one Jewish male would go and, and near the scrolls and then say this long prayer filled with Jewish idioms and, and, and all kinds of big words. And then the next time that the next person came up, that person, you know, they, um, they were rather competitive. So they said, look, I'm going to outdo this person. You're not going to believe the prayer that I'm going to offer. And so the prayer just kept getting more and more uh, sort of elaborate and more and more uh, showy. Uh, and even with their tone and their exaggerated passion. And so that was one of the things that Jesus was mentioned. But the other thing, when he's talking about not standing and praying in the street, um, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the trumpet would sound so the people would know that it was time to pray. Well, apparently what some people were doing is they were timing their daily routines so they were out in a very visible place. You know, they didn't really walk their dogs back then, but you can imagine, I'm walking my dog, I'm going to get the mail, I'm doing it. I'm timing my routine so that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the trumpet sounds, I'm in the most visible place possible. 
so that I'm going to be seen by all those around me. And then I go into these elaborate uh, sort of uh, demonstrations and so on. And so Jesus says, don't be like these people because their reward is the empty and unfulfilling praise of men. Now look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you, who sees in secret, will reward you. Here's a, we're going to have three points tonight I'm going to run through. Uh, here's the first one. Biblical prayer is motivated by sincere desperation, not the approval of men. So we know that Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer. I mean, after all, this prayer that we're going to get to begins with our Father, okay? So that's, that's actually a group of people praying. Um, the point is not, it really has less to do with privacy um, and more to do with sincerity. Because you think, think about it this way, when we're alone, isn't that when our truest colors are revealed? In other words, we, you know, we, we can go through all kinds of motions. And I had a guy, there was a guy that I knew who was in his early 60s. So a real young guy. And uh, I say that as I look at Monty and Van and others, this is a real young guy. And, uh, but, he, but he told me one time, he said, um, he said I will, I'll never pray in public again. And I thought, what an odd thing to say. Like, I couldn't understand it at first. And this is, this is maybe one of the brightest people I've ever met. I mean, this guy was just multiple PhDs, European PhDs, and five languages, whatever. He said, because I know my own heart. And he said, I know when I start to pray in front of a group of people, I know what my heart does. I fill it with words that nobody can understand, nobody knows. I know I do it for the, the praise of men, for the, the, the commendation of the people around me. And he said, I'm not going to do it anymore. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that conclusion, but I do appreciate his heart, right? I appreciate his heart. And he was saying, look, I know what happens when I'm around a group of people. I pray for the praise of others. And what Jesus is saying, it's not about going, you don't have to go in your closet. I mean, if you want to, that's fine, right, when you pray. But the thing is, what Jesus is saying is, you can tell a lot about a person's prayer life by how they intercede, how they go before God when nobody else can see. Because that's really when it's really when our heart comes out. But nobody else is going to see what we're going to say or do. And so the issue here is less really, again, about privacy and more about sincerity. We can say that we care about a lot of things, but what we really come, care about comes into focus when there's nobody else around. That's what we really, it's evidence of what we care about. Um, okay, so Jesus says, don't be like the religious hypocrites. Um, and he says, look at verses 7 and 8, when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus corrects the Jews in their approach, that is, seeking the praise, the, the praise of men, seeking the accommodation of men. And then he moves on to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles, of course, are the non-Jews, and they pray to a number of different gods. There are all kinds of gods in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, gods of food and gods of the earth and gods of pleasure and gods of fertility. I mean, there were hundreds of gods. And so they didn't pray to the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. One of the ways that Gentiles would get the attentions of the God, the attention of the gods is they would say the God's names over and over and over and over again. Sometimes they would even resort to harming themselves while they were praying, while they were pleading with the gods, 
Because they thought, if I can do this, if I can just say the names of the gods, if I can just try to use elaborate phrases, if I show that I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm punishing myself, then they will, the gods will hear me. But Jesus calls these empty phrases. The Greek word uh, literally refers to babbling. It says, don't babble on like the Gentiles. Again, it's not a prohibition against long prayers. There's nothing wrong with long prayers. Uh, some of the great men and women of the faith prayed for hours at a time. This is Jesus teaching against trying to harness God's power for our advantage by the clever use of words. Here's our second point this morning. Biblical prayer is characterized by trust and avoids any attempt to manipulate God. Now, before we talk about the, before we balk at the babbling of the Gentiles or the praise-seeking efforts of the Jews, I think it would be wise for us to humbly evaluate our own prayers, wouldn't it? And I think to ask ourselves, when we're praying around other people, what's really, what, what's the heart of our prayers? Um, now, there's something to be said for, by the way, there's something to be said for prayer as a means of instruction. Remember uh, John chapter 11 at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus prays and he says, look, I'm, I'm praying this so that they will see and know and so on. But um, and when I pray, sometimes when I pray, I have, it's not, the, it's not the sole purpose of that prayer. Sometimes when I pray, I have in my mind, I want to instruct my own children in a theology of God. So there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we really seeking? What do we hope to get when we pray? Um, and you know, sometimes when people pray, they, you know, they feel like if they follow a certain formula, or if they pray in a certain tone. You ever been around somebody that, you know, you, you, you talk to them in a regular conversation and they sound one way, then they, when they pray, they sound like a totally different person. Say, so, well, you know, you never sound like Yoda when you talk to me. Like, why, why, are, you, why are you doing that? And I think they, sometimes there's this idea that if I just, if I use the right phrases, I use the right tone, if I just say the right, then God's going to sort of be uh, beholden to me. And we know that that's, that's not the way uh, that it works. And, you know, we know that we know that we have a tendency or at least a proclivity to try to manipulate God by the way that uh, the books are written in soul when it comes to prayer. You can see a prayer, a book like the prayer of Jabez sells millions of copies while books on, you know, and which is really, I don't want to necessarily get into that book, but it's a way to kind of get what you want by praying a certain way um, when there are other books that talk about suffering and talk about waiting and talk about depending on God, and they end up somehow kind of in the bargain, you know, table years later. Um, there's a sense that if we pray a certain way with the right language and tone and phrases that God will necessarily hear us. Uh, a friend of mine who was a mentor before he passed away, he died recently at the age of 80, and uh, he was a phenomenal man who grew up in, in uh, the 1930s in New York City and had a chance to sort of pick his brain for a while, which was just, again, a phenomenal guy. I heard him say one time that during World War II that in the churches in New York City, there were honor rolls of all the men who were in the service, and the churches that were viewed to be the most spiritual were the churches who had none of the young men killed 
because God had answered their prayers for the safety of their boys. And if another church had a number of folks who were, that were on their list who had died, that church was kind of viewed as not as spiritual as the other churches, or God would have preserved their boys doing war. And I think yet we have to ask the question, is that really the way that God works? I mean, is it, is it really like if we can sort of, you know, say the right, you know, muster the right phrases? Well, of course not. Jesus says there's no need to heap up empty words because our Father knows what we need before we ask, which is very good news, isn't it? God knows what we need before we even ask him. Uh, now, that always brings up the question, that, well, then if that's the case, then why do we even ask? And the answer is that even though God delights in giving us what we need, remember Jesus chastises the religious leaders at one point, and he says, um, he says look, if, our, if your father knows what to give you, um, then how much more will our father in heaven give us good things? Um, so even though God knows knows what we need and delights in giving us good things. He's determined to do so through our prayers. That's how he has determined to give us good things, through his prayers. In fact, there's, um, there's a couple of illustrations of this, and I didn't happen to write any down, so I'm not going to go to the right reference in my mind, probably. But there's one situation where um, God says regarding Israel, he says, I... I he says, this I, I will do. I will bless Israel through the prayers of people. Now, we know that God had already determined to bless Israel, but he says, I'm going to do it through the prayers of, his, of, of my people. And there's another situation and, uh, where Abimelech is in trouble, and, um, and, he, and God says to uh, his, Abram, he says, pray, that, uh, pray and then I will release him. And, I shouldn't have brought up either one of those because I'm doing it off the top of my head, but um, they're in there somewhere. You, you can search them up and find them. But the point is, God says that he will, he wants to bring about things, bring about good things to us through, his, through our prayers. Prayer is the means by which God brings about his divine will. And you can't have the end without the means. So prayer is the means. Sometimes people say, in approaching prayer as a sort of therapeutic uh, way, they say, well, the reason we pray really is so that we'll be changed. And I think, okay, there's some truth to that, right? I mean, d prayer does foster a greater dependence, but that's not real. We, we pray because it's not just busy work. You know, I was a, when I was a student, and my, sadly, my middle son, my second son has inherited this same disdain that I had, but I always hated busy work. I never understood, like, why am I doing this if it's just busy work? So now my son considers all his homework busy work, but uh, so we're working on that. But it's not just busy work. Prayer's not just, it's not just something we're doing that has no, no effect or no impact. Prayer is actually, again, God makes things happen through our prayers. This is why it's so critical that we bring our petitions, our requests to the Lord, because he desires to bless us in response to our prayers. Now, Look at verse 9. You say, well, I don't want you to just be feeling guilty about this. Well, I don't pray enough. I don't pray the right way or whatever. That's not what I'm getting. I look at verse 9. Um, pray then like this, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Now, that's as far as we're going to get as far as the Lord's Prayer tonight. Uh, but when we read that, we really have no idea how revolutionary this was, what Jesus was saying. 
if you look in the prayer, the prayers of the Old Testament, you go back and read of the, the prayers of the Old Testament, which would have been the Hebrew scriptures of the day, um, you'll find that almost all the prayers that, that you see there are centered on the transcendence of God, the sovereignty of God, the majesty of God, the fact that God is beyond our finding out. He's so much, he's so far beyond us. His ways are so far, so high above ours. He's so lofty above us. And you see the prayers in the Old Testament. It's, O sovereign one, O sovereign one. There's, a, there's, a, there's an emphasis on God's transcendence, right? And, and this covenant-keeping God who is sovereign and majestic. But here, Jesus does something powerful, something that would have been scary to the original, his original hearers, he introduces this aspect of intimacy. Intimacy with the creator of the universe. The sort of relationship that a father enjoys with a child is what Jesus will prescribe in these prayers. Who would have thought? You know, put yourself in the mind of, and it's hard to do, I understand, but think about you know, you're, you're living in the ancient Near Eastern world. You're a student of the Hebrew Scriptures. You know something of this powerful, awesome God who is to be revered. And certainly we still, we know that that's the way God should be approached. But who would have ever thought in that time that the all-consuming God who made the world and everything in it, who established the foundations of creation, who the text tells us he rips up mature trees by the breath of his nostrils. This guy just, he can just tear up trees. Who would ever thought that this God who is a consuming fire, who filled the oceans with water by the breath of his mouth, the one on whom we cannot even look and live, who would have ever imagined that this God could be approached with such intimate language, by lowly humanity, that we could go to the living God, the created ones, could go to the creator and say, Abba, Father. It's incredible stuff. It's incredible stuff. And, and for those first century listeners, it would have been, it would have hit them like right between the eyes. Like, I can go to the one who made the world and call him Abba. It's not so it's kind of an interesting word, this Aramaic Abba. It's not so formal as father in our language. Um, you know, have you ever been around a family where the kids call the dad, they call him father? It just, I don't know, to me it's just the weirdest thing. You know, I see that every once in a while. It's just so formal, right? It's, it's so cold. Um, so it's not so formal as father, but it's not so casual as daddy either. It's not so, it's, it's what it is. It's this beautiful uh, phrase that captures reverence and intimacy at the same time. It's a beautiful tension there. And I like what New Testament scholar David Turner says. He says, God is our father in heaven because he has come near to his children by his grace, establishing a covenant relationship of intimacy and community. Yet God is at the same time our father in heaven. He remains distant from his children because of his glory, which leads us to approach him with awe. So God deserves the utmost in devotion, flowing from uh, a love and reverence for the one who perfectly and harmoniously possesses goodness and greatness, grace and power, eminence and transcendence. 
And here's what this means. This is our final point. Biblical prayer is rooted in a restored relationship, not an appeal to an impersonal divine force. And you understand, if you were a non-Greek and you were, you were hearing these instructions, your perception of the gods was they were impersonal forces that could be appeased perhaps by tremendous sacrifice, by self-mutilation, by these things. But there was no sense of intimacy. There was no sense that when I'm crying out to this small g god, or one of these gods of pleasure, fertility, gods of the earth, the ocean, the sky, whatever it is, that these gods actually care about me. There was no sense of that. But what Jesus says is that, that biblical prayer is rooted in this restored relationship, one that's, that's actually made possible through the work of God's Son. So by faith, we then are welcomed into, we are adopted into this family wherein we cry out to God, and not only does he hear us, but he cares deeply about us. He cares so deeply about us, this doesn't apply to me, that he knows the number of hairs on our heads. That's how much he cares about us, right? So, so he knows, and he cares, and he cares so much that he already knows what we need, and it is his delight. It's, he, he's not doing it begrudgingly. It's his delight to give us good things in response to our prayers. So we go to him, and we're going to have... We're going to look at, at each one of these phrases because each one of these phrases, the three thou petitions and the three we petitions, are just packed with meaning, as we might expect the teaching of Jesus to be. Our God is a consuming fire, but he's also a gentle father. He is one that we can approach with boldness because of Christ, because of Christ. This God who shakes the foundation of the world this God in whose presence all the peoples tremble is one that we can go to directly with our needs and our concerns and our prayer and our all of our struggles and our fears and our anxieties and our issues. And this is made possible because of Jesus. When Jesus came as a man, God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, he inaugurated a new relationship between God and and his people, so that based on the work of Jesus, the last Adam, his people can come into an intimate relationship with the triune God. Now, I've just now transitioned about two minutes ago from teaching to preaching, and I've got to wind up and wind this thing down in 30 seconds. But um, there is a, there's a, there's a real uh, sense that, it's beyond a sense that there's a, there's a, a real opportunity that we have to gain the presence of God, to gain an audience with God because of Christ. And I think rather than looking at prayer, believe me, I haven't gotten there, but I think rather than looking at prayer as this constant burden, how much better for us to think of it like this, I can actually gain an audience with the living God, the real true creator the creating God of the world. I have the opportunity in Christ 
to go directly into his presence and be heard by him. It's a profound, it's a profound privilege that we have going to a God who's not just our creator, but also our redeemer, a God who knows what we want before we ask him, but delights in blessing us in response to our prayers. So I want to make a commitment to you that in these Wednesday nights, we're going to wrap up by 7.35 at the latest. I'd like to be done by 7.30 just because I know uh, some of you have meetings and kids to pick up and things. So we're going to, we're going to keep this uh, on a tight schedule on these Wednesdays. But I do want to allow for uh, at least seven or eight minutes for questions if you have any. Um, and again, we're going to continue to work our way through this, this uh, the Lord's Prayer. And, and I think as we see these petitions, these thou petitions and we petitions, it's going to hopefully, it's going to not just teach us how to pray, but I hope it's going to serve as the fuel which really draws us uh, to the living God. So any, anything, any questions about anything I've said and uh, any, uh, any thoughts, questions, comments?